Although the characters we discuss are fictional, the challenges people face every day are not. The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Jedi Council Podcast, where we explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast. This is your graduate student co-host, Brandon Saxton. And your associate professor co-host, Katie Gordon. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm good, how are you? Pretty good. Looking forward to the holiday. Going to be seeing some family and eating some food, so that's always good. Uh, which I guess, this is always the weird thing about podcasting for me. Uh, which I guess when our listeners are hearing this was yesterday. That's but true. for us, is tomorrow, so... We Time could put it out weird. early, just, it, well, you, you're the one who puts it out, so no, <laughs> you don't need to do that. It's a Thanksgiving special that for those be. who are celebrating. <laughs> it has nothing to do with Thanksgiving beyond this conversation, no, but really I sort of like well. it. <laughs> Folks could put it on around the table and listen to the <laughs> Everybody console. bond over this as a family. Yeah, that's kind of nice. I'm looking forward to my favorite Thanksgiving annual podcast, though. There is such a thing. Uh, it's called Death Until Death Do Us Blart. And what it is is an annual Paul Blart 2 podcast where the McElroy brothers and three of their friends, who I'm not familiar with from any of the other work, uh, get together to just sort of talk about Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. I like it. <laughs> yeah, and they just release one episode a year on Thanksgiving every year. People ask them to do it more often, but they refuse. And the podcast is called Tell Death Do Us Blart because the idea is that once one of them dies, they will replace that person with someone else, and the podcast will continue ad infinium. Wow. <laughs> like just uh, once a year discuss it. That Paul is Blart. a really unique concept for a podcast. It's amazing. Uh, we don't need to get onto a McElroy tangent, but it was so fantastic to see them live, of course. We haven't podcast since then. But it is amazing how they can just put together a podcast about anything and all of a sudden it's a top hit on iTunes. That's right. And they, they um, as you saw, they used the live episode that we were at for this week's yeah. podcast episode from Minneapolis. I listened to like fun. the first 12 minutes, but then I was sort of like, I don't know, I just heard this the other day. <laughs> <I didn't, laughs> this was less than a again. week ago. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's fun to see live podcasting. I've seen Kevin Smith podcast live, as I've mentioned before, twice. And it it's fun because, I mean, there's something... As you know, I really like the medium of podcasting and listening to people's voices, but it's fun sometimes to also see them interact in person. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's go ahead and get started for today. Sure. I know you have a, a shout-out or perhaps a shout-in you wanted to do. Yes, I wanted to... To another podcast. Yeah, That's right. I want to mention naming it. We've mentioned them before. There are two psychologists who discuss current events mm -hmm. and focus on that through psychological and social justice lens. And I, and they have a really nice style of doing that. They explain things. They kind of joke around. They have and a, then they, they have serious, you know, they're good. They have a really good banter. Yeah, I think it's a show that cracks me up regularly uh, mm -hmm. just because of the banter. Uh, but like you said, too, also covers a lot of really serious and important issues. I agree. And yeah. I think it's hard to cover current events like that, oh, yeah. but they do a nice job with it. So just wanted to mention them. Um, they're they're worth checking out. And I, I feel like I 
I end up thinking about their show after the episodes often, and it challenges some of the ways that I think about things. So, and they do shout ins. That's yes. why I said that. Yeah, 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 I guess they yeah. do a shout in on their episodes, yeah. which is always so nice. So, thanks naming it. It's Bedford Palmer and Lamisha Hill. Yep, yep, two psychologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have another, and we'll link to it in the description of this. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then we have another uh, shout out that we need to do too that yes. we missed, I think, last week because sometimes we're a little rushed. Um, is to our newest patron, uh, Dave. So I, we've done a little bit more thorough stuff for some of the other people that have like their own podcasts but dave is just a, a nice person who wanted to support the show so i don't know what else to, more to say besides just thank you so much we really appreciate the support and uh yeah we're grateful thank you yeah we are really grateful uh dave is one of our patrons at the coveted yoda level yes and what that means is of course dave will get to choose a specific character for us to actually write one of our overdue uh psychological report blog posts on so yeah that's right that'll be really nice so any other sort of administration things business keeping before we dive in no let's go ahead and talk about stranger things yeah let's wrap it up so uh as always i'm sure unsurprisingly spoilers for the last three episodes uh we finally both finished the show and uh, we'll just kind of dive in and talk about some of the kind of last, I don't know, psychological constructs and maybe our overall impressions of the season as a whole. And maybe, I don't know, maybe predictions about what might happen next, depending on if we have time at the end. Yeah, that's, that sounds good. You know how, like, sometimes you say, is there anything else? And then, like, a minute later, I think of it. Every time. <laughs> usually. Which I don't mind. I just, there are a couple people who have... Um, have expressed interest in listening to our episode, and I want to say hi to them. Oh, sure. That's Kelly nice. and Virginia, who have both been very supportive of our podcast and the stuff that we do. And if you're listening to this episode, we hope you enjoy it. Yeah, that was really nice. Thanks. Uh, now, on to Stranger Things. <laughs> I promise I'm really ready to talk about it Perfect. now. Uh, where should we start our conversation today, Katie? Well... We've been pulling out these psychological concepts through the episode, and so maybe we can kind of just work through the different ones. And and this is through uh, the last three episodes, yeah. episodes seven, eight, nine of Stranger Things. And one of the first concepts that I thought we could talk about is something called multifinality, which is a concept that means that this basically... It's a fancy word, but same cause leads to different outcomes. And it's something that I actually teach about in the context of my developmental Mm -hmm. psychopathology course, which you have been a teaching assistant for. And what it means is that people having similar experiences during their, while they're developing and as youth, um, it can lead to very different manifestations. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, I think that we see this with Callie and Eleven. Can I jump in really quick? Yes, please. Um, Callie... Well, first, I actually had a question about what constitutes a fancy word, because I liked when you said that, but that's oh. besides the point. Uh, I, I before, think it's a number of syllables. <laughs> before we dive into multifinality, yeah. now I'm doing this, and I apologize. I want to really quickly talk about this episode, if we can. Sure. And maybe that will just lead naturally into the multifinality. Because some people didn't like it. Yeah. Uh, which I was sort of reading about online, and my friend Zach actually talked about this, because... Isaac also very supportive of the show. Yeah, as always, so so kind, so great. Um, people thought that the episode felt a little tacked on, and that it was sort of awkward how it was its own contained arc that was completely outside of the Stranger Things arc. 
and uh, that maybe it should have been just revealed as a subplot uh, in addition to what was going on. Um, I don't know. Before, what did you think about that? Well, I can certainly see what you're saying and what mm-hmm. other people are saying. I think it is important for character development for Eleven because it's really where she gets that moment of choosing the dark side mm-hmm. or, you know, which way is she going to go. And I think that she really, you get to see these competing motivations because she has a sense of belonging, which she seems like most of us really, she really wants, but maybe especially because of the experiences she had being in a lab and all that other Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. And so the idea that she has a sister and, and their connection there, I think is really important. And she wants to be part of that group of kind of outcasts, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and feel like she belongs. But ultimately I think that it is important that we see when they go after basically to take revenge on the people Mm -hmm. who have hurt them, that we see her, uh, use her telekinesis to knock the gun out of Callie's hand, which Callie doesn't like at all. But mm-hmm. you see in that, you see her empathy, her her choice to kind of focus on what's important to her in terms of her values and kind of come out as a hero, even though it's very painful for her because she's sacrificing being with her family and feeling whole. I mean, they even talk about it. So I really like the episode... I do understand what you're saying. Like, I I guess I kind of felt a little bit like that with regard to the subplot of, like, Billy and Max's family. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if it's justified in season three, like, if they return to it in some way, that that it might be more significant. But I get what you're saying anyway. Mm -hmm. But what do you think? Yeah, so when I first watched it, I think I'm pretty enamored with the show in general so i didn't even catch my attention that it was out of place but after i read some of other people's thoughts and had some conversation about it, i also understood how people thought maybe it it broke a little bit of the pacing maybe a little in some ways uh the episode prior to that episode six leaves off with the demodogs coming up out of the ground and going to attack the lab which is really suspenseful and i don't know it that was a really kind of like a big like oh what's going to happen next and then they kind of had you wait an hour which I don't know, isn't that big of a deal or that long of time in the grand scheme of things. Um, And I guess I was really excited when we did get to kind of return. But overall, I don't think it was... I think my uh, opinion of it is that it was not as bad as some people sort of made it out to be. Um, Even though it was sort of its own self-contained arc, I thought it was fine and it seemed to fit fairly well. I I have overall heard more people complain about the pacing of this season than season one, Mm -hmm. that it feels inconsistent that the speed, the kind of speed picks up in episode three, four, five. And then, as you said, it slows down with this episode. And I think... For me, it, it is a preference, too, although I can certainly see and acknowledge the, the change in pacing, and I agree. It is I It does feel like you're kind of brought out of the action for a little bit and going into a different mm-hmm. place. But I think because I like learning more about Eleven so much that yeah. I didn't mind it. Yeah, you know? and I felt a little bit Eleven deprived by that point because yeah. there wasn't as much of her in the season. Uh, maybe as 
maybe that's another preference, just as I would have liked, because I think she's such a neat character. She really is. Yeah, so it was cool, really cool to kind of see her, learn a little bit more about the background. Um, I'm, I mean, I guess I presumed that there was other people because she was 11, but it was cool to have that confirmed with 8, presumably, yes. Callie, her sister. Yeah. Uh, learn a little bit about different powers from, between the different people. Are there more that we're going to find out about later on? You know, presumably 1 through 7 on 910 uh i don't know yeah so i thought that was cool and it it opens up the universe a little bit more too to explore some of those other characters that might come into play so i don't know yeah and i think so it reminded me a little bit of star wars and of course like a lot of the show is you know even as they have that kind of in in joke when when um lucas is telling max the story and she's like it's all a little derivative because they are kind of pulling from these different They're, they're pulling from these different movies and genres of the time, but it reminded me a little bit of Star Wars in that Eleven basically is in a very vulnerable position, like Anakin and like Luke is at some points, and, and she's, she's gonna, she has to choose, and mm-hmm. so like, I find that idea very interesting, and, and the multi-finality idea yeah. too, is that, the, like, that they both had these experiences that were traumatic to them, and they're processing in different ways. And Callie doesn't seem like a cold person mm-hmm. or anything. In fact, the group, which you don't hear much about, and that's other criticism I read that like the group of like punk outcast kids, and I yeah. mean that affectionately because I I really like punk rock, but they um they could have been one character because they aren't really mm-hmm. differentiated. Yeah. And so I heard that too. But they say she helped them. Like she helped, they were outcasts and she helped kind of pull them together. And so it's not that, but when it comes to like revenge, she is cold and calculating about that. Yeah, very specific and very intentional and wanting to hurt Mm -hmm. uh, the people who are involved in what happened to her as a child, which that's something that you can empathize with. Of course. And it seems like she thinks that will bring her peace. Yeah. And that's where she and Eleven really differ. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting. It's one of those things because like, I don't know. It, it is cool to see them diverge in that way. And you actually see it real time. Yeah. Uh, when they find that person, uh, Eleven sees that, uh, he's a father as well. Um, she knows kind of some of her pain wanting to find out who her parents were and not having them around. So, uh, she decides she doesn't want to put other children in that place and she, she saves that person's life. Yeah. So it is interesting. They have that really cool scene too, where they have Callie's kind of leaning against the van window and looking at her reflection and, and crying. And then they transition over to 11 looking at, in the bus window and upset too. Yeah. Kind of them going in their different paths. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I come down in favor of the episode, even though I get what people are saying and that it feels like it was kind of a departure from the major storyline. Yeah, absolutely. Me too. I, I think it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I kind of cut you off with multifinality. Oh, I got no. too excited. Uh, we uh, ended up talking about sure. it anyway. And the other term that often is discussed with multifinality is equifinality. Mm-hmm. So maybe we should just talk about that too. Which is basically the idea that people can also end up at similar outcomes despite having different beginnings. Yep. So, for example, I feel like I should pull a Stranger Things example, but if you have two people who are experiencing depression, one of them, um, you know, when they were younger, they went through some kind of abuse. Another one, when they were younger, um, you know, or maybe they just have like a genetic predisposition towards depression and they had a stressor. Mm-hmm. So the point is there can be different pathways to this to similar outcomes. Mm -hmm. And the reason it's important to recognize multifinality and equifinality is just remembering the variability and that each person 
can have their own pathway to different things, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it's not worth um, studying what they have in common mm-hmm. in those types of situations. Yeah, absolutely. While you're giving that really good description, I really tried to think of an example of equifinity mm-hmm. from Stranger Things, but there's not an easy one there. So. Yeah, I can't. Uh, none come to mind. No, me neither. I tried my best. But. <laughs> and I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get sad for a minute. Bob. Oh, Bob. That part was spoiled for me, unfortunately, due to internet memes. <gasps> scum of How the, scum of the <laughs> web. Uh, so I knew it was coming, but that made it none, nonetheless very, it was very painful for me because yes. he was my favorite character. Yeah, I know. He was so good and, and kind and pure, even though his advice was sort of the catalyst for a lot of things that happened. But it was well-intentioned advice. Yeah. You cannot blame Bob for, no. for the supernatural powers of the uh, smoke beast. Exactly. Yeah, so. <sighs> he was self, you know, along the lines of eleven self-sacrificing, absolutely, and empathy. Right, right to the very end, mm-hmm. he tells Hopper, "Get everyone out of here." And he, I think, he sort of knew there was a good chance he wouldn't make it. He got very close, though. Yeah. yeah so, um, what I love about Bob and I. There's a lot of this maybe just happening in this time, and I don't know if this happened in other times either. I've only lived in one time, so I can't speak to other times. <laughs> that you remember. <laughs> that I remember. Uh, is that Bob is another really good example of uh, nerd positivity, and just it's 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 okay to just like what you like. I mean, he's just a he's just a geek. He loves the AV stuff. He founded the AV club at the Hawkins school. Uh, he's always kind of messing around with his video camera. He works at Radio Shack. Uh, when the Joyce is trying to get his help to figure out the puzzle of the little note sheet or coloring sheets that Will has made, he's just loves that. He's cracks the code and figures out it's a map. And I think that's so important and cool because, um, I don't know. I don't want to get too off track, but there's a lot or, traditionally maybe this is just my own experience i've been exposed to a lot of like very like masculine sort of things and and that's how men should be and and these are the things that you should like so it's so cool to me to just see someone just like no yeah just like whatever i like i don't know yeah and he's the hero because he knows basic he knows the the language of basic yeah Yeah. and so i i agree you know it reminds me a little bit of the show um freaks and geeks Mm -hmm. where they were like you know Apparently, because I recently heard an interview with Judd Apatow, you might have heard it too, it was on the mm-hmm. that um, Preet Bharara podcast, another good one. Stay tuned with yes. Preet. Yes, so it's, good. It's very good. Um, so anyway, he was, Judd Apatow was saying that when he was in high school, he always had this sense that like the nerds and geeks were the ones who had the really interesting story. I don't know if that's true or not. I'm mm-hmm. not trying to put anyone down at all. But that was the basis of his show, Freaks and Geeks, that it was kind of spotlight on, instead of the more typical high school story that was focused on like the popular kids and what they're up to and so i do feel like stranger things continues that tradition Mm -hmm. and and showing that even you know there are some popular kids in it and and they are weaved in but the stars of the show are really these kids with these geeky interests like dungeons and dragons Mm -hmm. and you know will ends up communicating through morse code and like it's just it's I think it's cool to mix that up, and it also does seem, again, like a nod to some of the work before it. Yeah. Which even, is nice. Even, like, Dustin with, like, the specific taxo- uh, taxonomy of, mm-hmm. like, the uh, various, uh, like, sort of amphibious creatures that they're hypothesizing yeah. that the demodog might be when it's uh, very little dark. Yeah. So, yeah, even that's pretty cool. It is. Yeah. I like that a lot. And it's a kind of positive representation instead of, like, Revenge of the Nerds. I haven't seen in a long time. But some of the presentations in there were not 
positive. Yeah. So it was good that they did that. And I should say, Freaks and Geeks took place during the 90s, but it was the same kind of idea. Yeah, and, and they still have some of it, I think, in a lighthearted way. Like when the boys go dressed up for Halloween and no one else is dressed yeah. up. And they sort of get, get a hard time. Um, it wasn't such, like, it didn't make me, like, feel really sad. They were teased a little bit, but it was fairly lighthearted in nature for and the most part. And they have a good, I agree. And yeah. they have, like, they clearly have a good time. And they sort of own it. Yeah, like, they whatever. do. Yeah. They do, which is fun to see. Like, they're not trying, like, when they're, even when they're getting into their little conversations about technically what to call this and what to call yeah. that. I mean, and they're kind of like, is that important right now? <laughs> you know? yeah. So they have some recognition of that. But I really like that. I, I think that that's fun. I mean, and they go beyond that, too, to even showing, like, frankly, um, more introverted kids and how that plays out mm-hmm. versus, like, the more extrovert kids. Because when Will is kind of basically taken over by the smoke monster or whatever yeah. it is and they're trying to connect with him i really like how mike says well i saw you were alone on the swing and i walked over and mm-hmm. said do you want to be my friend and that was the, one of the best decisions i've ever made which is so sweet and like kind of gets to like they're each kind of on their own but they find each other yeah. and I, I think that's it it shows some of the the strength and value in introversion too yeah what a nice show so many good feelings i really like it I do too, except for when Bob died. Yeah, that, that part made me. Worse. I know, you know, they had to do it. It's yeah. like they have to have s- someone go so that we continue to be scared. He was too good of a character. Yeah, that was the problem. Yeah, show would have become it was Bob all over him. We don't want him to spotlight. Maybe he'll get his own spinoff Hopefully. somehow. Stranger the prequel, thing. the story of Bob. Bob. <laughs> That'd be so awesome. I'd watch that. <laughs> you can play the prequel, younger Bob. You should audition for it. That'd be an honor, but I would never do Sean Astin justice as a younger <laughs> version of him. He's too magnificent. <laughs> he is really good. Um, okay, so anything else about that kind of theme, self-sacrificing, empathy? It is kind of the opposite of the Upside Down, where it's all about basically taking and... This is a recurring theme uh, in the show, is how important empathy is. And I think that's so good and, and so true and such a good message. Because mm-hmm. you see that conveyed across so many characters. You see how effective empathy is for developing friendships, for providing social support, and just for navigating life in a very adaptive way. And the positive benefits that it has not only for you as an individual engaging in empathy, but for the people around you as well. And I think I think the show should be commended for that. I agree. And the sophistication of some of the young kids and how mm-hmm. empathic they are towards each other. And even Steve has growth I mm-hmm. think because he starts looking a little bit more at other people's perspectives, including Nancy's. Yeah. Yeah. That was another conversation I had with Zach, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently he had read some stuff about Steve and how the character was actually supposed to go, and, and they sort of changed it. Oh. Yeah, and I'm having a hard time remembering exactly how it That's was. That's why because, we need to get Zach on yeah, the show. Yeah. I think it it, may, it was either a, I think it was an early morning gym session where I was mostly still asleep, <laughs> and so not totally encoding the information as I might have been at a later time in the day. I hear you, but yeah, I, Steve is a pretty cool character too, who does have some growth, but not complete. He doesn't get no. all the way to being sort of like a a good character. No, he, he has some sort of weird approaches to his relationship with nancy he does he does have some potential like ultimately he understands nancy wants to go with jonathan and is he's like i get it and he also admits that he's not a good boyfriend but he's like but i'm kind of a good babysitter and he has this like connection with dustin and then of course he does tell dustin act like you don't care yeah he doesn't tell him to be aggressive though so i'll take that as as moving in the positive direction um yeah i agree that's kind of a, a sign throughout um 
But that, I think, is one of the things that's so compelling about this show is just how much they care for one another mm-hmm. and their friendships are so mm-hmm. strong. I love it. Um, anything else about that? Mm-mm. Tell us about, speaking of nerd positivity, <laughs> let's hear about that mind flayer. Buckle up. <laughs> so a theme in the show that you may be caught is that it involves Dungeons and Dragons. Uh it's subtle. No, I'm just kidding. It's not <laughs> subtle at all. The main protagonist. I had not detected that. Uh, the main antagonists of both episodes are named after monsters in the Dungeons and Dragons universe, and loosely. So, in the first uh, season, the main villain is the Demogorgon. So, really quickly, this is so besides the point and unrelated to mental health. So, forgive me. Hey, that's what we do. We do, <laughs> we gotta true. give them that dose of the nerd stuff. The Demogorgon. They call it the Demogorgon, and they call them all Demogorgons. That's Demogorgon is actually a proper noun. It's a name of a very specific demon lord who has his own sort of uh, plane, I guess, that he rules over. He's a two-headed demon. You actually see it when they have the Demogorgon mini. It has two heads and very long sort of uh, flailing arms and, and a long tail. Um, so Demogorgon is is a specific sort of villain. Um, Mind Flare, which is interesting because they refer to the smoke monster as the Mind Flare. That's a uh, like a species of Mind Flayers are. And the technical term is Ithilid. Um, and what a mind flare if you imagine a humanoid bipedal but instead of a head uh imagine an octopus sort of in that spot that's how they look and depending on the sort of specific subtype they'll have four or six tentacles and um primarily live in the underdark in the dungeons dragons forgotten realms universe and they have very strong psychic abilities so they aren't very sophisticated um kind of martial combatants but they do use psychic powers uh, to kind of incapacitate people and and then use them as slaves, really, and sort of their own machinations. So that is scary. Yeah. So that was kind of the the creature that they grabbed because the smoke monster is kind of taken over will and is slowly kind of take removing his consciousness and taking over and that's what a, a mind flayer will do too is slowly over time remove the kind of the free will and consciousness oh yeah. so creepy very creepy and also very disgusting sort of looking they mostly communicate telepathically but they also can speak uh sonically i guess is the right word too but it's very kind of watery and gross mm. because they sort of look like squid so did you learn that from the monster manual i actually don't own the monster manual oh. yet it is on my christmas wish list though uh i actually learned this primarily through reading the r.a salvatore driz duerden series which i actually recently restarted uh there are 42 books in the series now i, I think i've read them all and um so a uh, main part of Driz's background, he's a drow elf, so he lived in the Underdark as well, so he had run-ins with Mind Flayers wow. when he was younger. Hmm. Would you recommend that? Since you've read all 42 books, I, I assume you I enjoyed would. them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're real good. Uh, actually, rereading it, I read them when I, I think I started them when I was in middle school, and then now I'm, I'm restarting them and collecting digital versions of all of them now. And they're actually a bit more violent than I remembered, oh. <laughs> which is kind of interesting, uh, kind of the combat is. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me, I don't know, it reminds me a lot of D&D, of course, because it's set in the Dungeons and Dragons universe. Um, but yeah, it's a good, it's a cool series of books, and that's kind of where all of my knowledge of Mind Flayers comes. Oh, well, actually, this isn't entirely true. I did learn more about Mind Flayers from Volo's Guide to Monsters, oh. which is one of the 5th uh, edition Dungeons and Dragons supplement books. It actually has a Mind Flayer right on the cover of the uh, special limited edition cover, which, of course, I have. And... Um, <laughs> It actually has a section. Did you get it the day it came out? <laughs> I did. <laughs> uh, the, the moment the shop opened. Uh, and it actually has a section dedicated to mind flayers. I had forgotten about oh. that. 
Um, which is weird because I, I think I just like re- kind of reread the manual last weekend. You got a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot of information <laughs> in code. But yeah, Mind Flayer is very interesting, kind of an iconic Dungeons and Dragons uh, monster. So I also noted that there's some nice comedic relief in the exchanges around that. And I think one of the things is that Hopper says that, you know, the monster manual is just something for kids. Mm-hmm. And Dustin gets a little defensive. Yeah. He's like, it's not just for kids. It's for anyone, which I thought was kind of a nice D&D yeah. defense. Anyway, the whole conversation is, is pretty funny around them because they're basically saying, like, we don't know anything. So yeah. let's use this D&D monster manual, even though that's a game. Yeah. And so they have a funny way of going back and forth between who's saying it's just a game and who's saying it's the best thing we have. And they kind of yeah. switch throughout because then later on i think dustin's like yeah but th- that's just a game <laughs> whatever it is really good it's i it's just it's kind of it's clever dialogue mm-hmm. and how they have them going back and forth and it's kind of welcome given the intensity mm-hmm. and the suspense of that episode so and that was a really intense one that's when the demodogs sort of come and surround the house and when 11 is revealed again to exactly so, yeah, so was it was a, really a welcome <laughs> having that exchange and you know in um and and buffy it's also like they they always go to the library to look up the creature to see what mm-hmm. they're facing. So it reminded me a little bit yeah. of that, too. So it's just, I mean, it's so good for that kind Absolutely. of thing. Absolutely. It's such a fun show. Well, thank you for the Mind Flayer knowledge. That's good to know. Um, I guess moving along in our outline, unless there's something nope. else there. The other thing that's interesting, so Billy, Max's older brother... He's kind of, as we talked about consistently, he's a jerk, right? He's, the he's worst. really controlling. Yeah. He almost runs the kids over. He's just, he seems like kind of vain too, but like, I don't know, like a jerk. But it's interesting because then we see something happen. He's getting ready for a date or something, yes. and his parents come home, his stepmom and his dad, and all of a sudden, it's. His, you see that his dad is emotionally abusive. I and mean, physically. he, yes, he's physically abusive. I mean, he calls him a horrible slur. Mm-hmm. He, um, says to call whatever whore he's seeing mm-hmm. tonight and cancel the date to find Max. It's clear that he's given a lot of responsibility for Max, which doesn't really seem fair. And he, he cries. You've seen his, you see his vulnerability yeah. in that. And I thought that was an interesting turn for his character that I didn't really see coming. That scene caught me really off guard yeah. because it, it, there was some sort of mystery surrounding Billy and Max in the circumstances that led him to the town. It, I was sort of under the belief, which was never expressly or explicitly said, that they were just like there on their own. Yeah. Uh, because there was some sort of mystery and like, and it seemed like they were really on their own. But as we turn out, we saw their parents. And at first they looked like kind of quote unquote normal parents. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then that sort of scene played out and it was not what I expected. And it left me, I puzzled over that scene for a long time, actually. Do you think the intention of that scene was to elicit some sympathy or empathy for Billy? Uh, and if so, do you think it was successful? Um I don't know. It's tough because it's like, I guess it does add a layer of his character, but because it's so brief and he's not a main character, I don't, I don't know as much what the purpose is other yeah. than like, it's, it's not what you expect. It actually reminds me a lot of um, the 80s movie Breakfast Club with um, John Bender, who's the guy who plays, the guy who has conduct disorder, basically, he's in detention and like, he's, uh, 
he basically looks like he's tough and doesn't care about anything and is pretty jerky to people. But then when it comes down to it and you learn more about him, you find out that, like, his dad is abusive. Like, he mm-hmm. talks about how he spilled paint in the garage and his dad um, burned him with a cigar and he mm-hmm. gets really upset. And so it reminded me a little bit of that situation. And I thought about, like, when we had Wendy Gordon on talking mm-hmm. about bullying, that it's a, that, um, it's a little bit of... A lot of bullies are not these kind of like secretly vulnerable. And I don't know that I would call him that anyway, just based on that. Because he still yeah. continues to have horrible behavior after that. But yeah, like that they're really hurting inside, mm-hmm. you know? That it's more like people who are popular and get away with a lot mm-hmm. of things is more typical. So I was thinking about that. So I don't know where it ties together. That's where I feel like, are they planting seeds for season three? Or is it just... Right. I don't know. Yeah, I like that idea that maybe it's a seed for season three. Because I could be totally wrong in a it makes sense to me. It allowed me to sort of understand. For that moment, I a lot of things started to make some more sense. And I kind of understood where some of his uh, interpersonal style with his sister stemmed from. But then after that, he goes on to be very like charming with uh, Mike's mother, yeah. I think. And then he he like looks like he's going to kill yes. uh, Steve. Yeah, that's who it was. Yeah. I mix up Steve and John's names. Uh, and I didn't really feel that bad for him anymore. And I was just like, he's just, like, just, he's not a good person. Yeah. yeah I don't know. So if the if the intention was to elicit some empathy from me, uh, I mean, I guess by the definition of empathy, I understood where he came from. But I didn't, I, I couldn't in any way excuse his actions or no, his behavior. No, that's the thing. Is like I'm like, are we seeing a turning point or something like right. that? Or is it just that we're seeing... Um, I don't. You're, that's that was confusing because it's mm-hmm. not like oh yeah it's like it's very clear that like he is in a terrible environment. It affects him. He's not callous to it, but he completely then takes it all out on Max. Right? Yeah. He's controlling towards her. He's abusive mm-hmm. towards her. And then you're right. I mean, it, if it wasn't for Max stepping in and injecting um, injecting him with basically and sedating him, yep. it looked like he was going to kill Steve. Mm-hmm. I mean, he messes him up really badly. Well, I, they even took some liberties with, like, the impact of that injury where later on he sort of pinches his nose and it, it doesn't hurt. But, it like, getting punched right in the head... You know, 10, 12 times like that. That that would be like you're talking I thought he was traumatic gonna die. brain injury time for sure. Yeah, totally. So I think that um, you know they frame it a little bit like I can't remember in the earlier episodes. Like it's like um, displacement or something like that. Like you know the idea that like he he's filled with this rage and then pro- and like kind of projects it onto someone else, but. I guess, I don't know if it's inconsistent. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Cause I, I'm, so I'm thinking back to, to, for example, individuals that I worked with who, in a correctional facility, many who had conduct disorder and many who were from abusive homes. Mm-hmm. That's true that most people who are, have been um, abused do not end up abusing others, but there, but among people who are aggressive, there are um, higher rates of this abuse. It's mm-hmm. a risk factor for conduct disorder and aggression. Mm-hmm. Both because it's modeled and also because the genetics are passed mm-hmm. down and there are a lot of different pathways there. But it's like, basically, there are kind of different versions of that kind of callous behavior. As you know, like one is kind of more like psychopathic, like mm-hmm. they're just really callous, calculating, can be charming. And I'm like, 
oh, that's what's going on here. Uh-huh. But then it's like, no, he has some, it looks like some serious vulnerability and feelings. Yeah. And that certainly can happen, but that seems more like another kind of antisocial path where they have the negative emotions and distress. But then he like kind of goes right back to being callous. I actually was thinking the same thing hmm. uh, kind of before the episode when I was organizing mm-hmm. my thoughts. No, and no, no way am I criticizing Stranger Things or the creators for this, but it felt like a depiction of someone with like with psychopathy or antisocial personality disorder by someone who maybe didn't totally understand the disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've seen, I've worked with people who have some of the, the aggression, the conduct stuff, and when you talk to them, they have the vulnerability too, and they feel mm-hmm. bad about it, right? They're not callous, but they don't, it, it seems more like it's, you know, they, they call it sometimes, right, primary and secondary psychopathy. There are a mm-hmm. bunch of different ways that people put this in, but it seems like the difference is that, like, one is, is a more controlled, calculated type of thing, and that's where I thought he was going mm-hmm. along. Whereas it seems, and this is just, like, anecdotally speaking now, people that I've worked with that have, like, um, a lot of anger problems and maybe have come from abusive homes and stuff like that, they might not have as much empathy but it's not like that extreme contrast you know they have mm-hmm. they have some remorse for what they've done to an extent and then they have difficulty controlling that behavior yeah. so it was hard for me to pin down exactly what was going on so i agree i struggled with that a little bit yeah. too it was an interesting sort of depiction i wonder because even at the is it at the in the last episode yeah when max is getting ready for the dance and or she's kind of getting her hair done and Billy walks by and sort of looks in the room and you think, well, even what's going on yeah. there? And he kind of just looks away and walks away. So maybe he's just going to leave her alone now. Uh, is there going to be more development or payoff for that? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, because she really shows him, like, I'm not, like, don't mess with me yeah. anymore. I'm sick of this. You know, after living in fear, I mean, I feel terrible for her. Oh, yeah. I'm glad she found her friends. Yeah, me too. Because she just... What a horrible, dysfunctional, like, household they live in. And then it also gets into the dynamics of, like, the her mom is kind of like, leave Billy alone a little, but then she doesn't do anything. And so mm-hmm. you kind of wonder, what are the whole dynamics in there? It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's sad to see that. Mm-hmm. And then there's some refuge, I guess, with her friends. Mm-hmm. So more to come you're right there's not much we can say at this point but it, it's hard to tell if it's a con- inconsistency or a complexity of the character right. i don't know we'll have to see um anything else about nope. that okay so briefly we kind of talked about this but they're trying to get will this to communicate um even though he's been taken over and so he's communicating through morse code which is really interesting and i just want to mention that i really like that they have the clash should i stay or should i go one, because it's kind of fun and it's in contrast yeah. to what's going on. But also, it's just a great song. And it also, like, the lyrics kind of hit on this. What you imagine there might be some struggle within Will. Like, is Will still in there or just have the monster take over? And should I, you know... And then later, should the monster stay or go? And they mm-hmm. kind of make him uncomfortable and try to get him out. So I just want to briefly mention that. I don't have any deep psychological commentary on it. But very good. <laughs> I, I mean, it's just sweet to hear them talk about how much they care about Will. Mm-hmm. I just love that. We talked a little bit about Hopper and Parenting Eleven and mm-hmm. kind of taking that parent parental role there and, and guiding her. And we talked a little bit about maybe some of the behavior modification techniques that he used, which were understandable, but maybe less effective than other options. Uh, it was a nice payoff with those two being reunited. Yeah. 
Uh, so even right when she walks in the house, uh, which if I can nitpick for just a second, I took a little bit of an issue when the door slider was moving and everyone like panicked and like got the yeah. gun up. I think everyone, I understand why they were tense because they, there was a monster outside, but like if that was happening, I think that's a, like a clear 11 sign. But yeah. That's besides the point. Um, when uh, she walked in and he even says, I'm forgetting exactly what it was, something like, what the hell took you so long or something, but yeah. they, they hug. Mm-hmm. And uh, even that was just so nice. And then their conversation that they have in the vehicle when they're driving back to Hawkins lab was so nice. And, uh, and, and some apologizing and, and trying to clarify some of the things that Hopper said was really nice. Um, and uh, apologizing for um, lying about her mom and things like that. And, and you see that he really was just trying to do the best that he could. And he still, it seems like has some unresolved uh, emotional um, turmoil maybe related to the death of his daughter which he confides in 11 um, so yeah it was a really emotional uh, but really touching interaction I I thought so too and right before then I think his inf- his interaction with Mike about yeah. I was impressed in that he his instinct is to protect 11 like don't get mad at mm-hmm. 11 because you know, it's not her fault that I was hiding her away. And Mike's like, I'm not mad at 11. I'm mad at yeah. you. And he kind of just takes it and is yep. like, let let me take all of your anger. And then Mike cries and hugs him. And yeah. I just think that, talk about empathy. He gets oh, yeah. what's going on there. Understandably, Mike would be really upset. And he's like, I want to take that. I don't want, I want to protect 11 from that. And I'm going to just let him express how he feels. And then um, he hugs him when he realizes he's just so sad about the situation. That's what's really going on there. You know, mm-hmm. he's mad that, but he understands to some extent that Hopper did that to protect Eleven, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but then, yeah, in the car, I mean, I think their way of interacting, you know, he says, I'm not mad, kid. I just want to know where you've been, right? And I think that that's a strong parenting technique. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I just want to hear... Now, Eleven doesn't mention Callie or any yeah. of that stuff. Why do you think that is? Uh, it's a good question. Maybe to protect the, her a little bit. I mean, Hopper is a police officer. Obviously, he's not against being flexible with the law to protect Eleven. Yeah. Um, he's... A, if we're going to use D&D terms, which seems appropriate given the kind of context of the sure. show, chaotic good seems good. He, he kind of flies by his own moral compass as opposed to the establishment's rules. Um, but even then, and I also imagine that Eleven probably has some of her own emotional processing to kind of do about her sister too before she's really ready to talk about it or seek any guidance on that. Yeah, it's a lot to unload in that yeah. when they're trying to like shut the gate. Yes. Is that what they call yep. the gate? Okay. For some reason, I'm like, I know it was a thing they closed, but it felt like it should be something. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought Hopper, too, he, so he talks, he describes himself as a black hole. Yeah. And that got me thinking a little bit about the cognitive model. Have we talked about that on the show before? I mean, we almost certainly have. We have, but, but not on the Stranger Things series. Sure. So I think it's worth revisiting. So if we think about the cognitive model, this is related to uh, theories by Aaron Beck, particularly most, I mean, talking about depression, um, which... You could maybe consider Hopper, maybe has experienced a major depressive episode. He's got some of the symptoms for sure. Um, but the cognitive model, sort of imagine a triangle in your mind. On top you have uh, the cognition or an automatic thought. On the uh, bottom right corner you might have an emotion. And then on the bottom left corner you have a behavior. And I thought, I was thinking about Hopper and how that might fit. Because if he thinks of himself as a black hole, 
I imagine that he has some core beliefs about himself that he might be unlovable, uh, he might be dangerous for people to be around, things related to that. And if he has those sort of beliefs, he might have some automatic thoughts that I'm not good enough, I shouldn't be by these people, I'm, I'm just no good, which probably leads to some, you know, pretty negative emotions you can imagine, like sadness or maybe anger toward himself, which probably leads to some behaviors like avoiding getting close to people. Uh, some things that we've seen him do, uh, I mean, he's got some negative coping uh, skills related to drinking and things like that, which then probably feed back into his belief that he's really not, not good or worthy of love. So Hopper's story is a bit of a tragedy, and, and I thought it fit or could fit the cognitive model really well. I, I agree. You know, I think that sometimes you see these beliefs following a tragedy or a trauma, like when he lost his daughter and he says... Uh, you know, something like, I feel like a black hole, it's this thing in outer space, it sucks everything towards it and destroys it, and um, talks about how his daughter had this book in outer space and loved it, and it reminded me a little bit of Jessica Jones after her family was in the car accident, and how it's like she kind of keeps her friends and other people at arm's length because she believes there's something about her that, you know, draws people in and destroys them. And I think that's really sad. That's exactly the kind of thing that a therapist would work with mm -hmm. Hopper on and try to challenge that mm -hmm. because uh, he's blaming himself for things that are not in his control. But I, but then he has the insight. This conversation in the car is so great because he says he's sorry for everything and that he's he's actually really scared. And that's why he gets so mad. He is so afraid of something happening to Eleven and kind of it being his fault and that he, the way that he displays that is through anger. And I think that's really in, insightful oh, yeah. and it does show how not processing these emotions can lead to more harm. Yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a great character. He's one of my favorite ones. Oh, I, yeah. Although I could say that probably about most of it's them. hard to pick, isn't it? it because is. I've done the same thing where I sort of earlier in this episode I said Bob was my mm -hmm. favorite, but now I think Hopper's my favorite. So. No, I think it's <laughs> who knows. It's good. And the other thing is that you're right. This is one of the threads that's not left hanging. They kind of revisit it and they basically go back to his rules. And they both say, "I've been, I've been stupid. I've been stupid yeah. too." And they kind of go back to that. And then they have like a lighter note, which is which I think is nice because it's a way of showing like they're not mad at each other anymore. And she she describes her her look her like punk rock look as bitchin', <laughs> and and he's like yeah <laughs> he's like it's okay I like it or whatever yeah. and so I think it also shows like resolution after like a serious kind of problem in their relationship and then a return to like a, a more normal a typical relationship right the concern about why do, why are you dressed like a punk now or whatever yeah. what's behind it i'm just curious kind of yeah. thing and so i i like that a lot all right should we move into kind of our concluding thoughts sure. or the conclusion of the show both sure. i guess yeah uh so the show ends with the dance which is a nice scene the snowball uh, dance the snowball dance the part of Dustin really made me sad for him because yes. he just really wanted to dance with someone and no one would dance with him. It's so relatable, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, maybe not for, like, you popular <laughs> people out there listening, but, like, I could really relate to that, and I maybe other people could, too. But And then he puts himself out there, yeah. and he's kind of rejection. Like, uh, I mean, it really is 
I don't know. It's really getting at something real there. Uh, but another uh, amazing depiction of empathy with Nancy mm-hmm. going and, and dancing with him, particularly in front of the quote-unquote popular people. Uh, and she also tells him that he was her always her favorite of her brother's friends, which was nice. And he's just, like, beaming. Yeah, that, yeah. Is, and you see, like... And the stuff, and you see, like the girls, the woman, the girl who, because they're in middle school, who um, said she didn't want to dance with them, kind of looking on. Oh, but Nancy's kind of yeah. dancing with them, you know. Yeah, because I think Nancy's supposed to be one of the cool people, right? I think, I think it was always so. Kind of, yeah. Um, so that was cool. Uh, Eleven got to go to the dance, which was really nice. After mm-hmm. we got to see a nice scene that apparently she she has a birth certificate now, so she's. Uh, formerly Hopper's daughter, uh, oh, which is pretty cool. Love that. Yeah, I did too. And also, like. I know I keep talking about Buffy, but this like one of one of the best moments in Buffy is like of many is she just wants to be at a dance, be a normal girl, and and Angel shows up at I think it's prom or home homecoming actually. Sorry if you Buffy fans are listening. I'm sorry I'm slipping, but it was a dance, and just for that moment, like she gets to do like a typical kid thing, yeah. and I really felt that way about Eleven yeah. too. Yeah, that was good. Uh, related to Eleven getting a birth certificate, it was cool to see Dr. Owens kind of turn out to be cool. Yeah. Because I didn't like him very much in the beginning. I thought he was going to be the new sort of, I can't remember what the main bad Hawkins Lab person's name was, Eleven's quote-unquote papa. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Dr. Owens turned out to be okay, and him and Hopper kind of became friends, which yeah. was kind of cool. So yeah, I didn't mind that. It, it surprised me. Yeah, so, no, yeah. I was. I didn't see that coming either, so that was good. Um, of course, Max and Lucas are kind of, Yep. Dancing. Yep, they seem to have uh, uh, some romantic feelings mm-hmm. that was kind of hinted at, and, and they're dancing now, so that was good. Um, yeah, but where did was Will at the dance? Yes, because someone said Zombie Boy wanted oh, dance. Oh yeah, so. which I sort of want to be like, no, like, <laughs> that's really mean. But the guy, the he just he looks kind of shaken up as one would be, yeah. and so I'm like, on top of it, do you have to call him Zombie Boy? I forgot about that. And part. then Joyce is kind of hanging out outside, and Hopper's yeah. like, I thought you'd be here. She's like, I wanted to give him a yeah. few feet of space. Which is understandable mm-hmm. that she doesn't want to. I actually am going back to when Eleven and Joyce see each other. That's really sweet how they greet each other, too. And, yeah. like, that connection oh, that yeah, they that have nice. is really positive. Did they ever resolve the way that Eleven greeted Max? Which is to say, not? I don't think they went back to it. I don't know if Max just was kind of like... Because I don't know if this is true, but I didn't know if it was because she was, like, uncertain about her or if it's because when she went to go see Mike, he was hanging out with Max and she got the wrong impression. So I'm not sure what that is. But then it's like Eleven's been gone for a month, right? And then she gets out for the dance. So So I don't know. they're cool now. Hard to say. I don't know. Yeah, they don't really interact. It's kind of more focused on her. That's something for next season, too. Yeah, maybe they'll return to that. Which is leads to my next point there's certainly going to be a next season mm-hmm. because as the song fades uh or doesn't fade i think the song maybe continues but the camera pans down to the ground yeah. and then does a 180 flip uh we see the mind flare is still there and standing over the school in the upside down yes so that is yeah you're right there's gonna be season three and i think that like the way the the song even um, every breath you take is kind of like a good song for that because it's like it seems at first like a sweet love song like I'll be you know like I'll be watching your own stuff but it's actually about someone who's stalking mm-hmm. and 
watching after someone and the kind of like the upside down you get the idea that's what they're doing and so like they go from like the sweet Cindy Lauper time after time dancing like some positive feelings and then the creepy like mm-hmm. evil stuff is to come yeah. ahead you know like just leave Will alone he's had enough yeah no doubt he and deserves a break too. yeah but what a hero she is the final Heroine. battle was pretty Hero. pretty cool where yes. she kind of had to use both hands and really amp up the power and Hobber was shooting the demodogs. I thought that was a really cool scene. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the kids played their different parts, and yeah, that's and, true. And, but Eleven is clearly the you know she's got the most power, and yeah. she's willing to use it, and she sacrificed a lot for it. Which I don't know. It's it's just such a good show. I'll be curious how they uh, have more because Hawkins Lab is shut down now. Oh yeah. So presumably, people will just stop messing around with the with the upside down. Hopefully, but. More presumably, uh, they won't because they hinted that there will be more. And they got closure on Barb, too. Finally, the parents, they said that she died from, like, uh, I think they called it a chemical accident in the lab or something. But at least, like, that was, right, that was a big concern with Nancy and Jonathan that, like, they were still looking for her. Related to the Barb storyline, which I thought was fantastic and I'm happy it's closed, how outrageous was that was the conspiracy theory? Character. Yeah, I actually really liked that character. Yeah. It's very funny, but mm-hmm. very silly. You I loved when he was waving. Out? Yeah, yeah <laughs> waving he loves at the that lab. stuff. Yeah, yeah, that was really good. Uh so mm-hmm. overall, I would give Stranger Things a ten out of ten for sure. Did Stranger you Things like it two. better than season one? Or uh, I liked season one a lot, but I think I liked season two a little better, like five percent better. Yeah. <laughs> what was the Curse of Strahd reference that was in it? Oh, it was very subtle. I had to look it up. I didn't see it myself. There is at one point a, on Will's desk, there's a stack of papers, and like the bottom piece of paper has a corner that's stuck out, and there's a symbol on it, which is a symbol from the original Ravenloft uh, module from the 70s. Well. Yeah. <laughs> As someone who read the Curse of Strahd 5e campaign book, ran it, mm-hmm. I feel like I know a fair number or a fair bit about it. I, I think I've really Which is, of... this is all Dungeons and Dragons yes. talk for those of you whose eyes started to yeah. like look confused or glaze uh, over. Yeah, I was, I, I was expecting a more tangible reference, but I, I was yeah. okay with that. Um, I've certainly revealed my nerdy D&D knowledge in this episode, but I'm okay with that. That is good. Thanks to Bob yeah. and the nerd positivity. We embrace it. Mm-hmm. We embrace that here. All right. That's all I have to talk about today. Any pearls of wisdom for us, Brendan? Um... My pearl of wisdom is remember Bob Newby, superhero. Yeah. I didn't think of any ahead of time because I've largely forgotten to do any pearls of wisdom for a long time now. (laughs) I sprung it on you. (laughs) That was really good. We needed to bring it back in a dramatic way. (laughs) Well, thank you all for listening. We really appreciate it. And we, for those of you who are celebrating Thanksgiving, we hope because I know it's different times in different countries, and some countries don't have it, which makes sense. But mm-hmm. anyway, for those who are celebrating, enjoy it. We are thankful for you. Oh, that was really nice. I don't have anything nice to follow up with, <laughs> besides I agree. That works. <laughs> All right. I got to turn off the podcast before I embarrass <laughs> myself more. See you later. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Jedi Council Podcast, a member of the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. You can find more information about our podcast or blog at www.jedi-council.com. If you would like to support the Jedi Council Podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Jedi Council. 
The views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Additionally, this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help.